Hello, and welcome to this edition of People in Transition. I'm your host, Bob Durst. I've been hiring, firing, and mentoring executives, frontline employees, interns, and job seekers in companies around the world through a host of transitions, some difficult, but most very good. I work with people in Hong Kong, India, Australia, and across the United States. What sets them apart? A lot, but there's more they have in common. And one of those commonalities is transition is a part of life. This experience has given me a bird's eye view on a variety of trends, economies, industry disruptors, and transitions that are big and small. It also brought me into contact with the thought leaders and decision makers you need to meet. The people who can make the difference that matters to you right now. Imagine knowing exactly what to do next and how to know it's time to make your big change. The inside track you're going to access during our future episodes is better than a crystal ball. It's the exact information you need to take that next step. Whether you're a new grad applying for your first professional job, someone looking to transition your work experience into a promotion, launching your own company, or maybe even starting to plan your retirement, you're in transition, and this series is for you. We all know transition can be scary, but it doesn't have to be. And it's even fun when you have VIP access to the future you want. Are you tired of the uncertainty of being passed up? We'll share with you the tools and skills that can take your dreams to the front of the line. So if change is on your horizon, or maybe just the thought of change, you won't want to miss this discussion. It could be the exact edge you need to turn transition into an amazing opportunity. Donna Peters, thank you so much for being with us on this edition of People in Transition. I'm really looking forward to our discussion. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for all that you're doing to help people. I'm thrilled to be here. Donna, when you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? My answer is a little gruesome, but I wanted to be a forensic pathologist and I wanted to solve murder mysteries. I have to say of my 55 episodes, <laughs> you're my first forensic pathologist. <laughs> what were the transition moments that occurred to get you from that picture of yourself as that person to where you're at today? I ended up going to a liberal arts college, and I think that that was the big moment when I started to learn other forms of creative expression and different types of problem solving that wasn't scientific. And I took a major pivot and ended up majoring in English literature and theater, which could not be more different from forensic pathology. I, I do still think that I solve problems every day and I still try to find patterns in data and I help clients solve the mystery of what is their next best move in their career. So I do still feel like I do mystery solving. I just do it in a much more human connected way. And I think when I went to that liberal arts program and just started to have uh, more creativity of expression and human interaction, I decided I wanted to deal with living people and not do forensic pathology. Donna, we've talked before about the themes that you see in the job market today. Mm. Can you give your perspective on that, please? Yes. So I have been a full-time career coach throughout the entire pandemic period, and it has been 
an incredible privilege and an, an extremely eye-opening to watch how the decisions we're making about the role work plays in our lives are evolving significantly. And the main theme that I've seen in this very, very recent period of anyone in a transition, whether it's proactive or whether it's a forced transition, is number one, the mindset that you're running to something not from something. I think we tend to get a little too wrapped around the axle of maybe the negativity that is pushing us to look for something different, pushing us to look for the next best move. And that orientation of a positive mindset of running to something, not from something is so, so important in differentiating and in spinning these stories about the value that you add in a hungry, positive way. That's the first trend. And then the second trend that I'm really seeing is the power of our networks and this enormous realization that people want to help people and think about all the times when you got the phone call because somebody needed help from you and how uh, proud you felt, flattered you felt that they called you for advice and for us all to remember that there are people in our lives who are standing in line to help us. And that whole trend of people want to help people has never been more alive than through this pandemic period in our career transition phases. Donna, you use the line that in your transition that you should not be running from something, mm. but rather running to something. Yeah. Can you explain that? What does that mean and how does that play out in our behaviors? Yeah, there are all these kinds of reasons that we have an itch to scratch. And that itch is that we might feel stuck where we currently are. We might know we want more and we can't quite get it where we are. Some people might be at a crossroads where they have multiple offers and they're not quite sure which one to take. The mindset of running to something something is thinking about that future employer, or maybe you're wanting to go into business for yourself and you're speaking to a loan officer at a bank. It's putting yourself in the shoes of the other person who is helping you identify that next best position and doing that from a position of hunger and excitement about the value that you will bring to the new thing rather than the mindset of, well, I want to leave that organization because I really couldn't make it to the next level of promotion. I had gotten stymied. There really wasn't a next step for me or I felt bored. It's such a negative way to be looking for your next best move when your mind is back on the thing you don't want to keep. And so I work a lot with my clients to put the energy on the thing that you want to attract. And I call it signaling and making sure that you are signaling in the stories that you tell, the words that you use, the way your resume reads and the way you look on LinkedIn and social media, that mindset of that you're running to something and that you're attracting that next best thing for yourself. It's just so critically important. And I spend a lot of time with clients on that because I think we tend to get a little too in our storytelling in particularly when we talk about the examples of the work that we've done in the past or why we want to move or why we're forced to move right now, the negative stories don't get us where we need to be. We need to work through them. And I think that that's sometimes why it's so important to do work with friends, colleagues, or professionals. We need to do the work to move through the negativity. But once you're out there in that job market, have the positive mindset that you're running to something, not from something. You talked about networking. 
Why is networking important to the job seeker? I believe that no one gets their desired job by submitting a resume into a black hole on the internet. (laughs) So we do need to be looking for job postings that are on websites that are generic postings on LinkedIn. But the real magic happens in the workplace when we have warm introductions, when we have warm relationships helping us understand what that job might be because we have a friend who's already done it. So even if you are interviewing in an area where you don't know anyone and there's no one who can make a personal connection, you probably have someone in your network who has done similar types of work maybe at another company, maybe in a different industry that you can call and ask questions so that that new position doesn't feel quite so mysterious. You can almost think about it like a research project. If I've never, ever worked in a financial institution like a bank and I'm interviewing for a bank job, is there anyone in my network who has been at a bank before? And maybe I call them and I get advice on the bank's culture or the way decisions get made or the way they think about customers, the way a bank makes money. So networking, I think for a lot of people, can truly feel slimy, to be honest. And if you're one of those listeners who thinks about the discomfort that comes with networking, because you might think it sounds a little slimy, you might think it sounds a little bit like a used car salesman. Think instead about relationships. And relationships are people in your life. They could be professional, they could be very personal, but they are people that will be interested in hearing from you. They'll be happy to help with whatever goal it is you have in this moment and take the first step to reach out to them and say, I am seeking blank. I would love your advice on blank. Could we have 20 or 30 minutes? And I love to encourage people to do a relationship inventory, start to write down the people in your life, the different experiences that they've had that might benefit you at this moment of a career transition. And then think about contacting maybe three, four of those people a week to start activating that active transition. And you will be surprised and um, excited by people's willingness to help. And then I just encourage you to be the person on the other side and you be there when other people also need help. Networks and relationships are like bank accounts. You're sometimes constantly withdrawing because you have a need. And that means sometimes you need to be depositing for others and keep that relationship account in balance. Donna, when do you think you should start networking? I mean, like right after you lost your job or what's the best timing? Yeah, I think the long-term answer is it's something that we need to build as a skill throughout the arc of our entire lives. Because I believe there is nothing that we individually do completely alone. I think the accomplishments that we've had, the achievements that we gain, the roles and opportunities that come our way often involve the input from other people. So in that respect, relationship development, networking development is something that should just be part of the way we all move through the universe. However, if you're a listener, you're probably more having an immediate need because you have a human resources related or a a job transition that you're in right now. So I'm suspecting if you're listening here right now, you have more of an immediate need around 
your networking strategy. Either proactively you're seeking something different or you have been forced to seek something different. So in that respect, I would say the first place to start with networking is to think about a small list of people that are in your life that are maybe doing work that's of interest to you. And maybe ask them for a 20, a 30 minute conversation about what is that type of role like? And do you think my resume and my experiences are attractive to that type of role? Or do you know other people that are in these types of roles I'm interested in that I could talk to and treat that mindset more as informational? So if you're reaching out more for information, it won't feel quite so pushy where you're asking people to help you get the job. You're really doing research and gaining information about how to position yourself for these roles that you think you might be attracted to. And honestly, you might get some creative ideas and other people will help you see your skills and strengths in ways that you never even appreciated about yourself. Too many people think your network is only used when you're looking for a job. My experience is, mm. is my network has helped me grow as a professional while I've been working, helping me answer questions and providing resources. And you're right, that arc of your career, networks can be used for a lot of different things. Yeah, I love that. Do you personally schedule time in your week, your month for networking? Is it that structured or do you do it more kind of organically when time allows? Two answers to that. I think one is more spontaneous for me and the other one is more structured. My spontaneous networking trick that I just apply to myself that maybe listeners will find interesting or spark their own idea, I call it think you tell you. And the spirit is that whenever I think of someone, I might read an article that reminded me of a conversation. I might see a photograph that reminds me of a friend. I might hear a news story that I know someone would find interesting based on a prior conversation. If I think of someone because of something that's happened in my day, I make a point to tell them. I will forward the article. I will send the picture. I will tell them that this made me think of you. And I do that a little bit more spontaneous. Sometimes it's with family members, sometimes it's with friends, and sometimes it's more professional. Uh, but that's the more spontaneous networking. I, I'll call it a trick, but I, I really, it's not really a trick. It's fulfilling for me to do that. It's a way for me to find a very natural, authentic way to stay engaged with people based on my knowledge of them and their interests. And then I have another more structured approach, which is 11 o'clock on a Friday. I have a block on my calendar that I call time to think, and it's from 11 to 12 every Friday. And it's the time where I take a moment to look at my my business, because I'm a business owner, and I use it to look at both my client relationships, my business objectives, my professional and personal relationships, and I make a decision to reach out to three people. Okay, sometimes is it two, sometimes is it six, sometimes do I need to move 11 o'clock? Absolutely. But it's a forcing mechanism to remind me that, Donna, you might have been thinking about reaching out to someone but did you actually do it? And I just appreciate the reminder and the forcing mechanism. And it just helps me have a little bit of a reminder, a little bit of a motivation. And I learned that trick from a mentor. So I need to give credit where credit is due. <laughs> I've learned that trick from a mentor. And I have probably been practicing that now for over 10 years. 
Donna, if on average positions that are advertised for receive 200, 250 resumes for consideration, what does that suggest to someone who's looking for that next great opportunity? Well, Again, think about putting yourself in the shoes of the recruiter and what is it like for them a day in the life of their job to try to fill this position when there are so many candidates coming forward. And I'm going to use the word lazy here, and I don't mean it to offend anyone, but I do mean it for a moment of self-reflection. I think sometimes when we are faced with career transitions and we can be a little aimless or we're shooting at everything that's coming across, we can get a little lazy about our applications, especially in the electronic world, because it's so easy to submit something digitally. I take my resume, I attach it to that website and poof, it goes off into the black hole. And so I just encourage us all to just decide, are you being a little lazy in the application process? Have you done the work to truly vet the words in the job description? And what are the words in the job description that you need to be signaling about the experience in your resume and maybe in the stories that you tell in your introductory note? And really make sure you've done the work to tailor yourself to the need that a hiring lead has. So that would be my number one tip about a resume. And the second one would be, I often find we get a little too in the details when we write resumes. Yes, you want to show that you added value. Yes, you want to quantify where you can quantify, but do it in a way that somebody who does not know you at all and doesn't have the experience at that exact same company where you're coming from, make sure they can really read it and that you've tailored the resume with the intention to be understanding the types of problems that you solve and cleaning out a lot of the buzz language or internal lingo. If your intention truly is to communicate your value, there are probably some changes that you're going to make in the wording in your resume that makes it a little easier and quicker for the evaluator to read. A friend of mine thought that the whole resume game Mm. was really all about numbers. He was Mm. convinced if he sent out 100 resumes, you know, he'd find the job faster than if you only sent out 50. And if Mm -hmm. he sent out 200, he'd find it faster than when he sent out 100. So Mm -hmm. he's basically blasting his resume out to the marketplace. Good idea or not so good? Well, I'm a strategist. And so I have to come clean that I have a bias with all of the career coaching that I do, we have to have a strategy because strategy allows us to know what to say no to. That's really the main definition of of a strategy is knowing what to say no to. And if you're really looking for the role you want work to play in your life and not just a job, not just a paycheck, I really recommend you start first with a strategy of what is the type of role the type of work you want to be doing that's just fundamental to who you are and the value that you want to be bringing and what type of company you want to target if it's important to you that that company align to your personal core values. So if those things are important and it isn't just a job and it isn't just a paycheck, I think that that will require you to not do the random blast of the numbers game of applications. Can that yield more opportunities? I bet it can. Just statistically, I bet it can. But are you just landing a job for the paycheck or are you trying to find something that's a little bit more what I'd call career oriented versus job oriented? Start with your own 
personal strategy. Donna, there are certainly a number of different job search channels available for us to use. Like we've talked about job boards and ads and direct mail to the companies. All of them are those channels that we might use. Should I use the one that I'm most comfortable with or should I vary where I'm spending time at on my search. I want to take us back to the networking conversation where we started. Before someone picks a job search tool or a job search board or forum, start first with your network. Where are the people in your network? And who are they and what are they using and where are they showing up and what have they maybe used that they found successful? So if you really are starting from scratch, because maybe you haven't been out in the job market interviewing for quite some time, and now you really are surprised and find yourself in that situation, before leaning on something anonymous and quite mysterious, lean on your network for the advice about what boards to consider or what maybe even headhunter type firms that you maybe even want to get affiliated with for people to help you find those jobs. In these instances, I would go high touch, low tech in the beginning and use your network for those personal interactions. And then let that little bit of a research project help you then decide what type of technology tools or electronic, more anonymous boards you may want to be participating in. Donna, what's the mindset you should have present when you go into your interviews, whether it's on Zoom or telephone or in person? Is there a mindset that I should have? I would encourage us all to think about two components of a mindset. The first one is your personal brand. You get one chance to make a first impression. And so what is the personal brand that you want to be conveying in that first impression moment? That impacts everything from how you're dressed on the call, what your background is on the call, the the attitude, the mindset, the questions that you ask. All of that is all part of your personal brand and how you want to signal that. And then the other component of mindset especially for people that get a little nervous in the interviewing process, because it probably isn't something that you've done every day, is to remember the interviewer wants you to be the perfect one. Because if you're the one that they're looking for, you just made their life so much easier. So I often find that we sometimes think of interviewers as like a test. I'm I'm joining my interview and it's going to be a test and, and the interviewer is playing this gotcha game where they're trying to check you and catch you with trick questions. That's really not what it's about at all in my experience. In my experience, the interviewer wants you to be the one. And so sometimes remembering that helps us join with more uh, positivity. Maybe it helps the nerves calm down just a little bit. And those are the two mindset things that I would add. What do you think a recruiter is looking for in the candidate that they want to hire? Are there characteristics that stand out for you? I like to talk about three different types of skills and strengths, and I think most interviewers are looking for a suite of these three types of skills and strengths. The first one is the technical stuff. So that might be, was a particular type of engineering degree required for the role, and do you have that or not? If it has something to do with like a CPA license, do you have that or not? Are you certified to program in Python or not? And those are the more technical skills and strengths. The other one is functional, and that might be more of they require you to know about logistics. 
They might require you to know about financial closing of the books at month end, or they might need you to be a marketing and advertising experienced functional person. So that's the functional area. The third one that I find uh, in interviews is more in the interpersonal space. And that might be things around experience with conflict resolution, communication skills, maybe negotiation or ability to influence people who don't directly report to you. So I think in any type of a job, the recruiters are looking for the right combination of the technical, functional and interpersonal skills. And what you can do in transition is focus your preparation on the stories that you need to tell in those interviews that bring those three types of skills to life as appropriate for the job description that you've applied for. Let's kind of flip that coin over just a bit. We've talked about a lot of things that the candidate should bring to help separate them. The flip side is, is there anything annoying or off-putting that a candidate might do or say that may knock them out of consideration for a position? Oh, Bob, my favorite question. Thank you. Yes, 100% yes. You know that moment at the end of an interview when the interviewer says, well, Bob, do you have any questions for me? And usually the answer is something like that the candidate tends to say something like, why have you been at this company for so long? Or what do you think is so special about working here? Or if you had a magic wand, what's the one thing you would change? Again, if you put yourself in the shoes of the interviewer, you can only imagine how many times they hear those exact same questions. So that's annoying. It is a way to not differentiate yourself. And again, it's kind of lazy. So my advice here is do the work. Study the company. So for example... If I was interviewing for a company and I just read in the news that they have made a big acquisition, maybe they're going to be bringing in another company into the fold, I might ask a question like, what excites you the most about the acquisition you just made? Or if I read in the news that the company just gained a new major customer contract, I might ask about that, the excitement around that new customer. So think about ways that you can research the company to be relevant in what is happening in their world right now. What signals are you getting about the way they're growing and making investments? And then tailor your questions around the real life. The questions you could only ask of that company in that moment, rather than the more bland questions that honestly you could have asked in any interview at any company without really doing any homework. Donna, do search firms or hiring managers use LinkedIn or other social media platforms in their search for candidates? Oh, LinkedIn. This is a really interesting topic in my world. I find that there are really two types of camps when it comes to LinkedIn. There's one camp of candidates who treat LinkedIn more like an electronic resume. It's just a static electronic resume. And that allows the recruiter to just go on and see your electronic static profile which is totally fine as long as it's current and accurate and up to date. There is another type of candidate who has more active engagement on LinkedIn where they are posting 
articles or research or points of view that help signal to the world who they are, what they care about, where their expertise lies. And recruiters love that. And it's still your electronic resume and it is your activity that is demonstrating who you are, what you value and what value you bring in that particular work environment. And so absolutely recruiters, the first thing they're going to do when they see your name often is go to your LinkedIn profile, even before they open up the resume. And they're going to look for what type of presence you have, especially if you're interviewing for more manager and up to senior management positions, because they really want to understand what your personal brand is. Uh, And they want to demonstrate, well, you just told me over here on your resume that you're a thought leader in supply chain. But when I go to your LinkedIn profile, I don't see anything that indicates thought leadership in supply chain. So it is pivotal, monumental, any superlative word I can think of right now that you embrace LinkedIn as a social media channel and that you be intentional about the personal brand that your LinkedIn profile is signaling to recruiters. And not just the recruiter and headhunter. When you start to go out there interviewing and maybe you're getting on the third, fourth, fifth round, et cetera, any of those line employees who are going to be part of the interviewing process, the first thing they're going to do is look you up on LinkedIn and they're going to see if they know anybody who knows you. It's just natural human instinct. So I highly encourage you to embrace LinkedIn, make sure it is accurate and it's signaling what you want to be attracting. And I'm not aware of any other social media platform that has the pull of LinkedIn. So I would start there and give it your full attention and signal what you want to attract. Donna, how do you coach your clients on how they deal with the rejections that come with a job search? Rejection has life cycle stages. So there's that first rejection where you don't even get the phone call. You don't even get a a screening interview. And then there's the rejection when you get the screening and then nothing else happens. And then you get the rejection where you've already gone through four, five, six interviews and you don't get the job. (laughs) So I think those different phases of rejection have different reactions. If you are finding that you're at the first stage of rejection where you're just getting your resume out there all over the place and you're not getting the first bite, for that type of a stage, I would advise people to really go back to your networking strategy and see how you are or are not leveraging networks to warm up introductions and get you farther into these companies or jobs that you're really interested in targeting. If you're at the phase where you get the screening and then not much else, I would advise you to look yourself in the mirror and do the hard work and decide if you've really been doing the appropriate practice of your story. Why you? Why that role? Why now? And do you have it really practiced? Do you have it buttoned up? And is it positively running to that thing, not from the previous thing? And then if you're in the third stage of rejection where maybe you're the final two candidate and you just don't make it quite over the line, that may come down to, you. did you have the right experience? Were you looking hungry for the position? Like maybe you had one foot on the brake and one foot on the gas and they weren't quite feeling you were fully committed. The fit might not be right. That one's a little harder to tell uh, because it's going to be so 
you'll be so deep in the interview, you're never quite sure what the company might be looking for and you might not have been the right fit. But I do think that those are three different stages. And if you're in the third stage and getting a rejection, always like the bridesmaid, never the bride kind of a thing, I would also, again, look yourself in the mirror and decide, are you negotiating too early? I sometimes find in that third stage of rejection, when you're almost over the line, but you don't get the job, you might have started negotiating too early. I like to encourage people to go and get the offer first and then start negotiating. As we kind of wind down here, uh, Donna, any books or other resources that you would recommend to someone who's going through their own personal transition? Yes. So your listeners will be able to see um, it is a book that I've written. It is called Options Are Power, Career Strategies for High Performers Who Want a Life. It's very practical and a real, real easy read. So obviously, I'd say go there first. And I have a lot of free resources um, available through that book for, for people that are in transition. The second thing that I would say is anything that you can get inspiration from, whether it is books or podcasts or people in your life that give you inspiration about storytelling, that to me is the number one thing that needs the most work when we are in interviewing mode. And I don't mean just the formal corporate interview. I even mean the informational discussions you may be having with your network or maybe somebody at your church or maybe the father of a kid's friend. Any of those conversations where you have an opportunity to say, here is who I am, here's what I'm looking for and why I'm looking for it right now. That story needs to be clear and compelling. And if you haven't been practicing that, look for inspiration about how you want to tell your story um, as you're out there, again, signaling what you want to attract. So I don't care where you get the inspiration. Some people get them from books around storytelling. Some people get them from storytelling podcasts. Some people might think about the amazing stories that they heard from their grandparents. But think about you and your own storytelling. I find it is the most critical piece and the one that we spend the most time on in coaching. Donna, if our listeners only remember three things as they go through their own transition, what are those three things you want them to take away from today's discussion? Number one, you are not ready to job interview if you haven't adjusted your mindset that you're running to something, not from something. So do the work. Number two is remember that people want to help people. So embrace that if networking feels a little uncomfortable. Just remember people want to help people. And the third one is a little bit more tactical, but so important. Do not underestimate the power of LinkedIn. What great advice today. I know that I can speak for our listeners, Donna, that you shared a little bit about yourself, certainly the experiences that you've had over the years. You've helped plot out a roadmap for action, and you've provided caring and hope for many people. Donna, thank you so much for the time you spent with us today. Thank you so much, Bob, and all the listeners, whatever it is that you want out there, I hope you get it. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We're working in unprecedented times as the world responds to the recent COVID-19 crisis. The fact is that even those who are not in transition understand it could be right around the corner next month or a year from now. The purpose of these episodes are to give listeners support and the critical tools to adjust with the winds, wherever they come. I'll continue to introduce you to guests who have successfully 
perhaps gracefully or without too many battle scars, survive their own obstacle courses and can share useful information on how to steady your ship or your world in this uncertainty. If today's message was helpful to you, please share it on social media. If you have any questions or podcast ideas for future conversations, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I appreciate your time, your investing in sharing these important conversations with me, my guests, and others who are going through life transition. Transitions between jobs, life stages, new entrepreneurial ventures, or whatever life brings. Change is constant. The more prepared you are for it, the better and easier the change will occur. Thank you again. This is your host, Bob Gerst. See you at our next episode of People in Transition.